If you have your Bibles uh, with you, would you please take them and open them to the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on many things, but at least for a basis from which we can launch and eventually come back to at the end of the service of John chapter eight, verses 31 through 36, where our Lord talks about the ultimate freedom that uh, we can enjoy uh, in uh, having him as our Lord and as our savior, that he came into this world to deliver us from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin. So in John chapter eight, beginning with verse 31, the scripture says, so Jesus was saying to these Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not know, the, uh, does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Well, this coming Friday, July the 4th, we will be celebrating the 238th birthday of our independence. And it is indeed a time of celebration, a celebration of freedom, which are ours. This morning, I want to unashamedly and without hesitation demonstrate to you my patriotism that I love America. I know that you do too. And I want to talk about America and God and our country. I want to talk about our God-given liberties. I want to re recapture something of the spirit of the 4th of July. So in a very simple way this morning, I want to talk to you about some everyday symbols of our freedom, which we are all around us as we constantly are reminded of the freedom that we enjoy as American citizens. The first symbol that I want to focus for a few moments on, of course, is the Constitution of the United States of America. What I hold in my hand, of course, is not the complete document of the Constitution of the United States of America, but it certainly is a reprint of some of the major things that make up our Constitution of the United States of America. It is the very uh, Constitution, the very foundation upon which uh, our country rests. A constitution is a document on which our system is has its fundamental laws, the principles by which we operate. It describes the nature and the function and the limits of our government. The meeting that brought the constitution of the United States into existence was born in a meeting called the Constitutional Convention. 55 delegates met in a room in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on the rainy Friday, May the 25th of 1787, 11 years after America declared its independence from Great Britain. The men who made up that constitutional convention were farmers, planners, scholars, lawyers, and uneducated tradesmen. The youngest was 26, the oldest was 81. 
The delegates included such well-known men as George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, James Madison, and they elected George Washington to be the chairman of the committee. On September the 17th, 1787, the delegates signed their names to the Constitution and a new form of government, one in which the people themselves were sovereign, was born. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So on this fourth day of July, celebrating the 227th birthday of the Constitution of the United States of America, it is this document, along with the Bill of Rights, that guarantees us the right to meet here today and to worship the Lord according to the dictates of our own heart. The Constitution of the United States uh, is supported by all the federal officers of our country. When a person is elected as President of the United States, on his inaugural day, he takes an oath. The oath says, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and will to the best of my ability preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Even those who are elected and chosen to be justices of the United States Supreme Court take uh, almost an identical statement. All federal officers do so. And so the Constitution is the very foundation of our country that guarantees our freedom. There is another symbol of our freedom, the flag of the United States of America. The Bible tells us in Psalm 33 and verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When our country was fighting for its independence and the Declaration of Independence had been signed, the people wanted a flag which would be different from the flags of other nations of the world, a flag around which they would rally. Now there's some question as to who originally designed and sold the first flag, but most of the time we give that credit to Betsy Ross. And there is a flag that calls, uh, is called the Betsy Ross flag. This is the first one or one of the first ones that was made. The circle of stars, there are 13 stars in that uh, flag representing the original 13 colonies that had become the 13 states and of course the 13 stripes, the red and white stripes and this is called the uh, Betsy Ross flag. Congress appointed Benjamin Franklin as chairman of that flag committee and Congress adopted the flag on June the 14th, 1777. Congress later decided that the flag should have 13 stripes in memory of the original number of colonies that became the first 13 states. It was also decided that a star would be added to the blue field for every new state. Today, to my right and your left here, is the current flag of these United States. The American flag still has the 13 stripes. If you would open up the flag and you would find that 13 stripes 
And uh, the red color is both at the top of the flag as well as the bottom of the flag. And the red usually stands for, many times we think that it stands for the blood that has been shed by those who gave their lives, but it stands for courage and for valor. White stands for liberty, and of course blue, of course, stands for the loyalty that we have uh, as American citizens. There are uh, 50 stars on the flag that we celebrate today. And uh, the flag that we honor today, the design of it, was done by a 17-year-old boy by the name of Robert Heft, H-E-F-T, back in 1958. He was in his uh, history class in school and had a project. They were to come up with some kind of a project uh, that would go along with uh, American history. And so uh, he designed the flag with the 50 stars. Uh, his teacher gave him a B, a grade for uh, the designing of the flag. However, his teacher said, if you can present this to Congress and get them to approve it and the president to approve it, I'll raise it from a B to an A. And so he designed the flag, uh, a blue rectangle in the canton uh, symbolizing the union bearing 50 small white five-pointed stars and nine offset horizontal rows of six stars also from top to bottom, alternating with the stars. The 50 stars on the flag represents the 50 states of the United States of America, the 13 stripes representing, of course, the 13 British colonies. The nickname of this dear old flag sometimes is called the Stars and the Stripes, Old Glory, and the, new, and the Star-Spangled Banner. Today, that flag is a symbol of every sacrifice that has been made to purchase and to keep the liberties that are ours. That flag saw the twilight shelling of Fort McHenry and caused the writing of our national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. That flag was waving when Molly Pitcher grabbed up the cannon swab from the hands of her dead husband to carry on the fight for liberty and for freedom. That flag rode with Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys as they fought to give us liberty and to establish this new land. That flag flew over old Ironsides. That flag was carried up the hill of San Juan by Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders. It is the flag that was raised by five, four or five men on the hill at Iwo Jima during the hell of World War II on the other side of the world. And it stayed there until aggression and tyranny was halted. That flag waved a salute and goodbye to four chaplains who went down with their ship in World War II, men who paid the supreme sacrifice for that country. That flag flew over our men in Vietnam, and today, flag flies over our soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. Someone wrote this, I don't know who, an unknown person, entitled, It's Just a Piece of Cloth. That is all it is, just a piece of cloth but when a little breeze comes along, it stirs and comes to life and flutters and snaps in the wind, all red and white and blue. And when you realize that no other piece of cloth could be like it, it has your whole life wrapped up in it, the meals you eat, the time you spend with your family, the kind of things your boy and girl learns at school, the strange and wonderful thoughts you get in church when you worship God on Sunday. Those stars in it, they make you feel just as free as the stars in the wide, deep night. And those stripes, they are bars of blood to any dictator who would try to change this way of life. Just a piece of cloth, that is all, until you get your soul into it and give it meaning. Then it is a symbol of liberty and decency and fair dealing for everyone. 
It is just a piece of cloth until we breathe life into it, until we make it stand for everything that we believe in and refuse to live without it. And so we're thankful to God for this flag that we call the flag of the United States of America. It was in 1954, I believe it was, somewhere along in there, uh, that the uh, Pledge of Allegiance had the under God uh, statement added to that as well. We'll talk about that again in just a moment. But the Constitution of the United States, the American flag. The third thing that I want to present to you as a symbol of our freedom is the ballot. I hold in my hands a real genuine ballot. You don't have to look at it because this is an old one. I got it several years ago when I lived in another town and I asked the, uh, the lady who was in charge of, the, of the, the voting polls and so forth if I could have it. She made me swear that I wouldn't use it for anything else. I had to write the word sample across all of that. But this is a genuine ballot that was used back in those days. And uh, so it represents the freedom that we have. There are people in this world who would die, give their lives if they could have the liberty and the freedom to vote as you and I do today. Now, of course, that since I got this ballot, things have changed. We still use paper ballots sometimes, but we've become more modern and more technological and things. And so we oftentimes have a more modern way to present our ballot. But the freedom that we have to vote and to cast our votes for whomever we desire to do so, the Bible tells us that we are the salt of the earth and that we are the light of the world. And so the ballot is a symbol of our freedom and our right to choose the kind of government under which we desire to live. At any time when we vote, if we don't like the people who are making decisions for our government, we have the authority to throw the rascals out as the campaign slogan goes. We may remove anyone whom we feel is unfit or unworthy to serve. There are many countries in the world today who do not enjoy this freedom. Cuba, Russia, and all of the countries that are under Islamic rule do not have the same freedom. You remember seeing on television those people who dared to go vote and they'd stick their fingers in a, a, a well of purple ink and hold that finger up, dripping with the purple ink that they had proving that they had cast their vote? They not only were free to vote, but they were also placing their lives on the line, so to speak, uh, because oftentimes uh, uh, it's dangerous in those countries to vote. Some countries where they're supposed to be a democracy actually have stuffed ballot boxes and rigged elections. But voting is very important, and your vote counts. Oftentimes I encourage you and say to you, if you have not registered to vote, you need to do so. There are so many people in this world who claim to be Christians and claim, of course, American citizenship, but never register to vote and never go to the polls to vote. And then they sit around and complain about the kind of government that we have and the way that things are going. You should never underestimate the power of one vote of one or of one witness. A single vote can change the course of a local election or it can even change history. It was one vote that cost King Charles I of England his head in 1649. It was one vote that gave Oliver Cromwell control of England in 1656. It was one vote that gave America the English language instead of the German language in 1776. It was by one vote that President Andrew Johnson survived his Senate impeachment trial. It was one vote that changed France from a, from a monarchy to a republic in 1875. 
It was one vote that gave the presidency of the United States to Rutherford B. Hayes in 1876. It was one vote that gave Adolf Hitler the leadership of the Nazi party in Germany in 1923. It was one vote that saved the selective service in 1941, two weeks before Pearl Harbor. California, Oregon, Texas, and Washington were each admitted as states to the United States by a margin of one vote each. President Truman carried Ohio and California by less than one vote per precinct, thereby winning enough electoral votes to give him the presidency. And in 1960, one vote changed in each precinct would have defeated John F. Kennedy from becoming president. Your vote does count. It is a freedom that you have that you should exercise. And then the next thing, of course, is a newspaper. And I hold in my hand today, the current, today's edition of the Daily Sentinel newspaper. And whether it's this newspaper or any other newspaper in the United States of America represents the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press that we have in these United States, something that, again, that other countries in the world do not have. John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The First Amendment of the Congress and of the, uh, the Constitution and the amendments that we have says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so the newspaper symbolizes our freedom of speech and the freedom of the press. I believe in free speech because it is a Bible-based right of men everywhere in the world and particularly in America. I believe in free speech because I believe that truth is found in free and open discussion. I believe in free speech and a free press because I believe that without free speech and free press, no search for truth is possible. I believe in free speech in the church because I think a Christian has a right to pick and choose among the creeds and believe what his soul tells him to believe. I believe heartily with the statement in the Constitution of the state of Pennsylvania that says every citizen may freely speak, write, or print on any subject being responsible for that liberty. I remember several years ago when we were privileged to go to the country of Latvia Latvia for many, many years, as you know, uh, from where our, our beloved Carlos Gruber and, and his family were from, uh, were under the uh, domain and control of the, of the Russian Empire and how they finally, the Iron Curtain was lifted. And when we went over there, it, I felt like I was watching a new country, a new nation being born. That the, whole, the spirit of freedom was everywhere, everywhere you went. People were celebrating their freedom. In America, we are granted the freedom of speech and of the press. However, I believe that that freedom is gradually being taken away from us, our religious freedom. And there, as you know, many uh, ethical issues that faces our country. The homosexual agenda, uh, has the people who are involved in that uh, agenda and that movement have organized themselves and are using the law against us to take away our religious freedom. 
uh, the racial issue uh, that is still going on even after the Civil War was over and, and there was an emancipation proclamation given that setting all the, the slaves free. We're still fighting that issue today. You're, you have to be so careful at what you say that it will be misinterpreted and, and people will accuse you of being uh, prejudiced against other, other nations. I agree with what Franklin Graham uh, the, the, the son of Dr. Billy Graham one, uh, has said recently, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. He said, I believe that a time is fast approaching. I think it will be in my lifetime when the preaching of the gospel is referred to as hate speech. As hate speech. There's a new book that has just been published. I hope that you can show a picture of it called God Less America by Todd Starnes. Notice it says God, doesn't say God bless America. You may not can see it, but right to the, to the left of the letter L, you'll see the letter B that has fallen off. And now the title is God Less America. Todd Starnes is a journalist for uh, the Fox News Network. And this is a book that he has, uh, has recently published. And in, that, and in this book, he, he makes a reference to a speech that Ronald Reagan made back in 1970. Ronald Reagan told the story about Germany's invasion of the Ukraine. When the Germans invaded the Ukraine, they told them that they could no longer sing religious songs. The Germans rewrote the lyrics to Silent Night, and they took out all references to Christ and Mary. Now, the reason why that story is so interesting now is because we're starting to see it mirrored in our own country. Just last Christmas in Long Island, a school had taken out references to Jesus and Mary in the song Silent Night for their Christmas production. Those kinds of stories don't get national play, but I think it is a symptom that something isn't right in our country. Another relatively recent example, Starnes points out in his book, was the fight for traditional marriage in North Carolina. You may remember that Billy Graham uh, had an article published in the local newspapers encouraging people to vote for the traditional marriage uh, of a man and a woman. Uh, well, uh, a vote in, uh, uh, brought on a, an uh, an. Uh, an audit from the IRS. In May of 2012, Billy Graham placed that one-page advertisement in a North Carolina newspaper, reminding the people to vote for traditional marriage at the polls. The ads also encouraged voters to cast their ballots in favor of candidates who helped the principals and those who support Israel. Later that year, in 2012, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association received notification that the Internal Revenue Service would audit their taxes. The idea that the federal government would audit America's pastor for taking a stand is case for concern. If they come after Billy Graham, they can come after any of us. Starnes goes on to quote Billy Graham's statement. The farther we get away from God, the more the world spirals out of control. Graham wrote, noting that the nation seems to be going out of its way to remove God from the public arena. Our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. We don't mind offending God, but we can't offend one another. 
We live in America where we have a guaranteed freedom, which is why I think we should defend it. Religious liberty is important because at this stage, what we're seeing is humanists aided by the courts shoving Christians to stay inside the four walls of their church building and not proclaim the gospel to the rest of the world. And so it's important, folks, that we maintain the freedom that we have to speak and to write with freedom without being harassed by our government. The fifth symbol is the symbol of the Liberty Bell. On the Liberty Bell, one finds these words from the book of Leviticus, chapter 25 and verse 10. Proclaim liberty throughout all of the land and into all the inhabitants thereof. Those words are inscribed on the Liberty Bell. The bell was cast in 1752. It had cost the city of Pennsylvania $300 to have it made. It weighs 2,080 pounds. It was first placed in a hall called the State House, and it was called the State House Bell. And of course, you know through the years, the bell was rung and finally was cracked when it ran, rang for the funeral of Chief Justice Marshall, John Marshall. And because of that crack that's in the bell, it can no longer be rung. I guess it stands for anything. It stands for how, how fragile our freedom is and how easy it is that we could lose our freedom. It is fragile indeed. The next symbol that I have to show to you and remind you about is a key. I hold in my hand a key. This is the key to my truck. I drive a truck. I think every man ought to have a truck. I don't care what his wife might say. <laughs> so this is a key to my truck. This is also a, a key to my house. I have a key to my house and I have a key to my office up here in the church. These keys say to me that I have the right to own property and that I have the right to keep that property for my own. The Bible says you shall not steal. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So when I take the key to my house and I go home and unlock the door to my house, it represents the freedom that I have and the right that I have to own my property and guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States that protects me from illegal seizure, illegal invasion, and it protects my right for prophecy. When I go home, I can unlock my door, walk in and lock the door behind me and move into my citadel of freedom. The government cannot enter my house without a search warrant. And that search warrant must be duly sworn according to the process of law. The government cannot quarter troops in my house. They cannot invade my privacy. They cannot censor my mail. They cannot bug my telephone and the taping of telephone lines. And more recently, just a few days ago, the Supreme Court ruled that the police uh, cannot just take your cell phone if you were to, to be arrested for some crime that you were committing and, and they found your cell phone in your hand. They've been able to take that cell phone and, and find out any and all information that's on there about you. They cannot do that anymore without a search warrant. And the feeling, of course, is that your cell phone pretty well records everything that goes on in your life. And therefore, it would be an invasion of privacy for them to do that without a search warrant. So the key to your property is a freedom that you have as a citizen of these United States. The next symbol that I want to use, of course, is the church. This is a little model of a church building. It's 
not our church building, but when you look at it, it gives an awfully close resemblance of, of the building that we now have here that, that we're worshiping in. But we live in a country where we have the freedom of worship, that we can worship God any way that we please according to the dictates of our own hearts. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not overpower it. So our nation was founded upon Christian principles. The Mayflower Compact, as we saw earlier on the video that we saw, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, all of these give recognition to God. Our country was established and has been sustained by men of faith. A Presbyterian preacher, John Witherspoon, was the only preacher who signed the Declaration of Independence. The patriotic hymn, My Country, Tis of Thee, was written by a Baptist preacher named Samuel Francis Smith. Francis Julius Bellum, a Baptist preacher, wrote the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag that we said just a moment ago, that Pledge of Allegiance written by a Baptist preacher. Religious liberty has always been the natural outgrowth of Baptist. In America, one of the earliest spokesmen for freedom of religion was Roger Williams. He went to Boston in 1630 and 31, and he was soon known for his opposition to all official connections between church and state. He was banished from Boston and ended up at Rhode Island where he established what became the first Baptist church in America. Now, first being spelled with a little letter F, not First Baptist like we are known as First Baptist, but it was the number one, the first Baptist church in America was in Rhode Island in 1635. Isaac Bacchus, a Baptist preacher in Massachusetts, went to the First Continental Congress to plead for the case of religious liberty. He wrote a letter to Samuel Adams in which he showed that the policy of tax support for a state church was actually taxation without representation. Here is a real important thing. John Leland, you ever heard of John Leland? You ought to have. John Leland was a Baptist preacher, an evangelist. He worked for religious liberty both in New England and Virginia. He was going to run as a candidate for the Virginian Constitutional Convention. His purpose was to prevent ratification of a constitution by Virginia until it was amended to guaranteed full religious freedom. He met with a man named James Madison. James Madison was also a candidate for the convention. He met with John Leland under an oak tree near Orange, Virginia. And Madison persuaded Leland, the Baptist evangelist, to leave the race and support him. And for his support, James Madison promised to present an amendment which would guarantee religious freedom, free speech, and a free press. James Madison kept his promise and introduced 10 amendments. The Bill of Rights, the First Amendment says... Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercises thereof. In 1939, the late Dr. George W. Truett, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, stood before a crowd of 60,000 people while attending the Baptist World Alliance, and he said this, Religious liberty is the special trophy of the Baptists. One, at fearful cost, and we ought not to forget it, 
nor allow anyone else to forget it. So you can thank Baptist leaders of the early part of our history for the religious freedom that you and I now enjoy. But again, there's a dark cloud settling over America, threatening the freedom of religion. In a recent article published in Mature Living, you might find a few copies of it here in the office area of our church. There's an article there that caught my eye just this week entitled, Reading the Signs of the Times, or Christians Losing the Right of Their Freedom of Religion. And in that article, he lists several events that have happened in recent times that threatens our religious freedom. As you know, California has been a battleground for years between gay right activists and the voters of California. The voters of California determined in a special referendum that only marriages between a man and a woman should be legal. But after numerous appeals in 2008, the California Supreme Court ruled it as a violation of the state constitution to deny marriage license to homosexual couples. Not all of the justices agreed. Justice Baxter, in his dissent, pointed out how they were turning upside down the understanding in America since our founding that marriage is an institution reserved for one man and one woman. And he pointed out how every dictionary in America has always defined marriage as that traditional of one union between a man and a woman. Now, if that was a storm, then June the 26, 2013, the decision of the United States Supreme Court was a hurricane. That day, the Supreme Court ruled in the case of U.S. versus Windsor by a slim vote of five to four that struck down a key section of the Defense of Marriage Act. The Defense of Marriage Act, the DOMA as it's called, DOMA, which was passed by Congress and declared for federal purposes to define marriage as a union between one man and one woman, and the Supreme Court struck it down, struck it down, and caustically accused the courts and, and uh, people who are for uh, one uh, union between one man and one woman as having enforced uh, uh, in, in wrongly concepts, wrong concepts uh, of morality. States that have passed laws uh, protecting the rights of homosexual couples to, to marry are now suing people who refuse to com comply. There was a, a, a photograph company in New Mexico just recently in months owned by a Christian family, the Elaine Photography, who tried to bow out of using their photographic skills to honor a same-sex marriage ceremony. They were found guilty of discrimination. The highest courts of that state in New Mexico affirmed the finding. One justice on that court said, well, that's just the price you pay for being an American citizen. Similar cases have risen according to Christian business people, other businesses, like for example, uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, Sweet Cakes by Melissa in Oregon, and Arlene's Flowers and Gifts in Washington were all sued by homosexual couples because they refused to give the flowers or the refreshments necessary for their wedding. Apple, in its iTunes app store, has more than 400,000 apps available to be downloaded onto smartphones. 
However, after the late Chuck Colson's Manhattan Declaration, in which he again stated that the traditional marriage between one man and one woman was the proper way, Apple took his uh, app off of their iTunes. And shortly after that, it also pulled the app of a Christian minister that counseled homosexuals who wanted to leave the gay lifestyle. Facebook temporarily blocked Governor Mike Huckabee's pro-traditional marriage uh, during the public debate over Chick-fil-A's position on that issue. You remember Chick-fil-A? All they did was come out and say, we stand for the traditional lifestyle of one man and one woman. And they've been ostracized and castigated in many ways because of that stand. And, and Google uh, on YouTube censored messages off its site from a Christian youth pastor for the same reason. Meanwhile, the traditional media has joined into the uh, farcus against Christian orthodoxy. Television network A&E suspended Phil Robertson, the patriarch of the popular Duck Dynasty family reality show after he voiced, he's a preacher in the Church of Christ, criticizing homosexuals, not only in his preaching, but in the magazine, only reinstated him after there was a public outcry. Craig James was fired from Fox Sports Southwest on the same basis, same basis. Is it happening here today? Yes, it is, folks, right in front of our very eyes. Now, according to the article that I referred to, it would be a mistake, though, to limit this to just gay rights issue. Rather, he says it is a matter of basic religious freedom. As a constitutional republic, we, the people, still have a voice. Federal judges are appointed by presidents and confirmed by the United States senators, all of whom we elect. State legislators that pass anti-discrimination laws that offend the freedoms of Christians are also elected people. We can use our collective voice to respectfully urge them to accommodate the religious beliefs of America, and we can use the power of the ballot box if you would just go vote for your Christian convictions. It can be done. Have you ever heard of the statue called the Freedom Lady? Can you show that for us on the screen, the Freedom Lady? We hear about the Statue of Liberty, but this is the Freedom Lady. High above the United States Capitol Dome in Washington, D.C., stands the statue of the stately Freedom Lady. She's almost 20 feet high. She's so high up, though, you could hardly tell, tell how high she is, but she's 20 feet high. Her face is framed by a crest of stars, and a shield of stars and stripes is in her left hand. There's an interesting story about how this statue came to America. She was brought over to America from Rome during a fierce storm, and the captain of the ship ordered his crew members uh, to throw out the cargo on the ship so the ship wouldn't sink. The sailors wanted to know if the throwing over of the cargo would include this heavy statue. The captain refused, shouting above the wind, No, never, we'll flounder before we throw freedom away. Well, will we? Will we flounder before freedom is thrown away? 
Well, finally, my time is way up, but let me give you one more symbol of the greatest freedom of all, and that is the freedom that we started off with, talking about the cross, talking about Jesus, talking about our being the slaves of sin. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The cross is a symbol of the ultimate freedom from which all of our freedoms are derived. If this symbol is not the most important one of all, then we are without hope at all in America. All of the other symbols of freedom, even the ones that I've left out, there's so many symbols of our freedom all around us, they would all turn to ash if it were not for the freedom that is ours through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Notice, if you would please quickly, in these verses of Scripture, that there was a need for spiritual freedom. Jesus talks about it in verses 34 and 35. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house, the, the, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So he says, you're a slave to sin. So when you commit sin, you commit that first sin, you become a slave to sin, and you cannot free yourself. Now, the, the hindrance to spiritual freedom is seen in verse 33. In verse 33, these people responded what Jesus said. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, they forgot about their, their political slavery because the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Then there was the Babylonian captivity and there was the slavery of the Assyrians and then there was the Rome. The Roman government dominated them at the time of Jesus. So they, they've been slaves for many, many years or were slaves. But Jesus wasn't talking about political or physical slavery. He was talking about spiritual slavery. Yes, you are a slave. If you commit sin, you are a servant and a slave of sin. You do not control sin. Sin controls you. But Jesus said, if you know the truth, then the truth will set you free. And the truth is, you need to admit the fact that you have sinned, you have fallen short of the glory of God, that Jesus Christ is the only answer to your sin problem, that Jesus Christ is the only answer to maintain the freedom that we enjoy here in America as citizens of this great country. And so if you're here today without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to trust Him, repent of your sins, turn to Him, and depend on him for the spiritual freedom that he and he alone can offer to you. We used to sing a hymn, and still do sometimes, but Charles Wesley. It's called, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. The last stanza says of Jesus, He breaks the power of counseled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. And his blood avails for you. Let's bow together, please. Father, we humbly bow before you today, able to do so and able to confess whatever's on our hearts and minds because we live in a free country that you have led the people who established this country and our constitution to guarantee to us the right of freedom of religion where we can make our commitment to you, make it public, have a freedom of speech, 
to be able to gather in a place such as this without fear that the government soldiers would walk in and, and either kill us or arrest us or punish us in some way. May we never take for granted the freedoms that we enjoy as American citizens. But above all, may we never take for granted the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, we willingly admit to you that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But we thank you that freedom from sin rests in you. And we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.